Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 82, where we're talking with Sammy. Stay tuned as we discuss the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths of our poly lives. All right, Sammy. So who are you? Sammy Roman. I work as the head of data engineering and data platform at a large company. By background, I'm a psychologist. I'm in a monopoly marriage. I'm an ethnic minority man and a Muslim. Um, And I've been exploring this world since about April, May time. I guess my wife actually helped me realize I was poly for a long time. But at the time, I didn't think it was called polyamory. I thought I was being a player. So there was someone reeling that in. Um, and yeah, uh, for your podcast listeners as well, I am British and I'm based in London, born and bred Londoner. All right. Anything else you want to say about how you identify? I mean, that was a lot, but just in case. Well, yeah, I guess uh, some things. I am straight, cisgender. Um, but I guess I don't think about those things a lot because, you know, they are privilege points. So I don't need to think about them. Mm-hmm. Whereas being an ethnic minority and a Muslim, then they're not privileged points. I guess those are things that surface a lot in my identity, a lot more. Um, but no, that was weirdly an interesting question for something so simple. <laughs> <laughs> so what drew you to polyamory? What actually happened was um, I've been with my wife for six years and we never talked about my uh, a dating before we got together. And then I guess this year in lockdown, because you eventually cycle through as many hobbies as possible and talk about anything as possible. We, we got to that topic and um, she actually sat me down one day and said, I think you're polyamorous. Um, why don't you go explore it? And obviously I was in denial going, oh, I shouldn't feel like that, be like that. But I guess she's right. And but she's like, I'm, but then at, at the beginning I was like, oh, if I do it, you got to do it too kind of thing. And then after like a day or two, she was like, look, I'm not, this way at all i'm happy with us and being monogamous but you don't function like that so i and i guess she was right because for a long time because i had these thoughts and feelings and stuff like that and i thought every guy has those thoughts and every person has those thoughts of you know being with other people and all that but uh i guess how a lot of cis men have it is cheating but i guess mine wasn't like that so yeah, it wasn't normal. And I, and I have a weird theory uh, about this, but I'll get to that later. Well, I can't wait for that part. But yes, we can we can put pause on that for the moment. Um, what does polyamory mean to you? So to me, it's a relationship orientation and it is a choice whether you pursue it. Um, but I do believe it's somebody who believes that they can love multiple people and be in relationships with multiple people that are 
committed and loving and all that. And um, we'll see their different forms and I recognize the different forms of polyamory too as well. And what, if anything, do you find difficult about polyamory? Uh, so I guess there's a part of the culture of the community I struggle with um, because even the, it is extremely interesting because, uh, and I, I really mean this as a psychologist. And um, so I obviously work and I'm certified as a computational and statistical psychologist, but I worked a long time in counterterrorism psychology and watching the like, radicalization in groups of people and how they form identities and attack people. So it's interesting how a lot of the community says, you know, we're different to society and we are not a part of it. Or, or You know, things that all of us are familiar with hearing. But at the same time, there is a conformity of the identity of a polyamory community. And I think sometimes I struggle with that because um, I'm apolitical. I don't care about the left. I don't care about the right. Um, if you ask me deeply why I believe about things, you might say I'm a socialist, but I don't want to identify that way at all. So when I'm with more conservative people, they think I'm a bleeding heart liberal. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm more with liberal people, they think I'm right wing. Uh, when I'm with more center people, it really depends on the conversation as, as to how it goes, but I'm completely apolitical. And I don't think that's out of a place of me being privileged enough to be that way. Um, but I think, yeah, a big problem is you cut, a part of the poly community, you kind of have to conform to some of their ideals and stuff like that or issues they care about. Um, I guess another problem I faced, which is which I've talked about on Reddit, um, and the American uh, Reddit is way more the polyamory subreddit is way more American than anything. And I guess American poly people will be shocked by this, but not so much British poly people. But there's quite a bit of racism that I've suffered in the past few months in this community as well. And it's more from interacting with uh, poly women. But I'm in a nice little community, which will, which is kind of how I came to my theory that um, what I like to call wild poly versus tamed poly. Um, but yeah, I'm in a community called Lovers and Friends, and they were shocked when I talked about this. And a lot of the ethnic minority poly people said, yeah, this happens as well. So, um, but yeah, I, I feel like I should elaborate that. So wild poly is what I've noticed is people who do identify as polyamorous polyamorous but they've kind of you know done some online reading and kind of got a gist of it and thought this is for me whereas what i like to call tamed poly is sure you've done that you've done some of that homework but then you've joined a community where and i, I thought this is extremely valuable when you join a community whether you feel like you fit in or not but you actually get so many other perspectives on how to navigate people's emotions and stuff like that because i met so many like non-binary people, queer people, trans people, um, there's loads of women, um, white people, ethnic minorities, and they all had their perspectives and I was just learning so much about it. And I honestly do think before I like joined Lovers and Friends, I was a bit of like, a, how I navigated polyamory was a bit like a, like a player. I kind of thought that's a bit like what this is about, but actually seeing all the, the different perspectives was extremely helpful. So that's where I came to the wild versus tamed poly um, perspective. And I, you can kind of recognize it when you interact with these, um, I'm, I'm going to say women because I only date women, um, cis or whatever, but like you can tell who has actually been part of a community and has done all this homework versus someone who uh, just adopted the label because there are a few people who don't want commitment in their lives or they do want to sleep around and they adopt that label thinking this is the, 
a societally appropriate way of navigating this when there probably isn't. So. Right. Yeah. We've talked, I think, in some other episodes a little bit about the sort of spectrum of like swinging versus poly and mm-hmm. that uh, I, I hear a little bit of echoes of that in what you're saying, that the poly community tends to be more um, consciously oriented towards relationships mm-hmm. as opposed to towards just having lots of fun sexual adventures. But there's obviously not a sort of bright line between those. It's it's more of a spectrum of how how much wild poly are you? How much you I like know, to t- call it the the ethical slut spectrum, right? Like it, we're all ethical sluts, hopefully. But the the determining factor often is: Are you actually being ethical? Are you being honest? Are you being open? Are you talking? Are you communicating? You know, with your partners, because if you if you deviate from the ethical part. Um, you're just being slutty and that's all good and fine. Right. But uh, also uh, if you're not like talking to your partners about it, there's some, there's some issues that arise or will probably arise. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with being a slut though. I'm not slut shaming. We're all sluts here. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Or aspiring. Let's perhaps. Um, So uh, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but um, I want to just give you the opportunity to elaborate if you'd like. When did you know that you were poly? Probably, yeah, April, May, when my wife uh, actually told me these terms and I looked into it. And um, not to be rude, I thought, ah, these people are weird. Uh, (laughs) What the hell? Uh, This is some hippie bullshit. And then the more I read about it, I was like, ah, I am a hippie. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) But, um, but But before I met her, I was doing this i had between the ages of uh 18 to about 22 23 i always had three girlfriends and a friends with benefits along with there's like between three to five women always at a time and um and i never hid it um i never like said you know you're the one for me blah 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 i said look i have these other people as well but i didn't call it polyamory i didn't think of it as polyamory I just thought I was being like a player or a fuckboy or like whatever. That that's that's how I um, structured what I was doing then. But in hindsight, I was definitely a bit toxic then because I didn't know a lot of the stuff I do now and the maturity I have now. Um, even though that was only five years ago, um, but yeah, I guess I was poly, but maybe not so ethical because I, yeah, because I I was doing that player kind of mindset then, and that's how I thought it was, but. Um, yeah, I guess I've been like this since I was 18. And then when I met my wife, I went the monogamy route and yeah, did that until this year. And, uh, when, if ever, have you felt different from other people in general? Yeah. In general, we kind of leave it open-ended because sometimes I think that polyamory, um, communities often attract people who aren't, uh, who, you know, don't walk the beaten path, right? There are a little bit of outcasts or nerds or, or whatever, but have you felt different in other ways other than being poly? I think you can maybe also get a clue from our question. Obviously as a Muslim, as an ethnic minority, this is probably some, you know, in a majority white place like, I mean, London's quite diverse, but still historically, at least um, majority white place, you know, it, it, obviously, I would assume that you've had that experience of feeling different from others. 
Yeah, I mean, um, the race split not so much, um, interestingly, because I grew up in East London, which um, when I have memories of, of as a child, the whole area is very Cockney, um, which, if, which is a specific accent and culture. And then it became really African, then it became really Polish. So, like, it was always multicultural growing up. Um, but it was only when I went to uni and all that stuff. And then there was like meeting these people who'd never had that. But then I guess the, yeah, even in that multicultural world or when I went into the corporate world and the academic world, I guess, yeah, my religion was the thing that kind of separated me. But I think, yeah, one thing I never really openly admitted, not even to my wife till this year or to, um, the man and the woman who was my best man and best woman at my wedding till this year. And I even told my, that polyamory community I'm in this year, which everyone seems to find absolutely fascinating. Um, so in uni, I found out from one of the lecturers, I'm something called, I have something called schizoid personality disorder. Um, so obviously when I found out about it, I never went to the NHS or anything like that because, um, to my record forever and the type of security careers I was doing to impact it. But essentially means, oh, I'm, I'm specifically something called a secret schizoid or covert schizoid because uh, most schizoid people, and they're like one in 10 million or one in a hundred million. Um, I say people, but it's generally men. They're completely emotionally cold. They are com- like deadly logical, deadly introverted and isolationist. And, um, and so some of them have like intense fantasy f- fantasy worlds, but they recognize it's separate from reality. Um, I definitely have all of, oh, and a lot of them are asexual. So I definitely have a lot of that minus asexuality. Um, but the reason I'm called a schizoid is I'm able to actually show, I, so a secret schizoid is that I'm able to show that I have all these emotions and somewhat of a personality whilst monotone and be extremely extroverted. So Ones like me have great friends, careers, relationships, because we are able to put on. And I think about it a lot sometimes. Am I actually like this or am I playing a persona? And I do definitely have different identities. And same with all my emotions. Um, And this was something interesting telling people about, because apparently people can't do this, but I can just switch off everything uh, when I want to. So if I feel sad, I can just switch it off. If I feel angry, switch it off. How I feel about family members, relationships, friends, I can switch off exactly anything I feel for them. And um, but that, that's something I think about as well. Do I feel for them? Because I do, because I've manufactured it. But I do think I feel the mm-hmm. love and... Uh, what's the word for friendship? Connection, yeah. I, I do think I feel love and connection and all this stuff for people, but I can just switch it off at the drop of a hat if I want to. So I am in control of all my emotions, but I found out through uni and meeting people, but that people can't do that. If they feel something, they have to go for it. Uh, some people can push it down, but that really harms them. But for me, it's kind of like turning for tap. It's fine. I'm not going to flood or sink. That is kind of fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I, have that. Yeah, right. I don't either, but probably a really good, um, uh, it's something nice to have in, in some ways uh, when it comes to emotional relationships and uh, maybe arguments or uh, uh, heated discussions. Like, I wish I could turn stuff off. <laughs> it probably makes it easier too to deal with, you know, difficult people or situations in the professional environment. 
Yeah, which is why I've probably elevated the ladder I have. So at 25, um, all my peers were 40 and 45. Um, even the position I have now, all my peers are like twice my age. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, navigating the professional world has been extremely easy because, again, same with like morality and all that stuff, I can just switch it off. So when I wasn't banking or I wasn't consulting or because I've only ever worked in monopolies, large global monopolies, being Machiavellian was easy. <laughs> understanding how people tick and what they're going to do next was easy because another condition of this is a lot of people like me and I, I feel like this all the time even in communities I'm in clubs I'm in um, I don't feel like I'm part of it I'm just an observer and I think that reflected in the careers I did as well because psychologists are not supposed to be part of you know the phenomena they're supposed to watch and recommend and then same when I work in counterterrorism and intelligence, we're not supposed to be involved right. with what's happening. And then when I went into tech and AI, it's the same thing. We're not supposed to put our emotions or beliefs or anything inside the AI or the tech. We're watching how people behave and making tech to respond to that. So I think the tech is a bit of a looser connection <laughs> to that, but definitely um, intelligence and psychology, I'd say. Mm -hmm. So where do you feel you are in your poly journey? I feel like I'm at the beginning, but some have experienced so much of it because um, I've like dated a lot and slept around a bit and never really properly had something ongoing. Um, but I, I'd say it's at the beginning. I'm still a baby and um, a baby at this. That's, yeah, that's what I would say. But I feel like I've learned so much just from watching other poly people and their mistakes and their wins, mm -hmm. reading internationally about how people operate as well so yeah it's at the beginning but i feel like i know a lot weirdly for the time frame i've been doing it um where do you hope to go hmm. i'm open to whatever life unfolds i'm not trying to force anything or trying to get anything out of it if it literally is great um friendships then that's fine because those are valuable connections if i meet people through the com communities or events that way if it's just hookups i probably won't engage in that too much i get a lot of offers there and it's not something I'm interested in. So I'm open to whatever life unfolds. Why do you think you're poly? <laughs> that's, that's a really hard question. Um, probably because I believe I have the capacity and the time management skills to navigate <laughs> uh, this type of relationship structure. And um, yeah, I just... Um, I think I'll leave it there. I think that that's probably it. But I do have a lot of love to give. And yeah, I was trying not to give a mystery, but I've just gone there now. So yeah, I do believe I have a lot of love, love to give and different relationships. I have different types of love as well that I can experience. And why did you agree to be interviewed? Uh, so I listened to some of your podcasts and um, thought, yeah, I really liked how different the voices were. Because um, what's interesting is when I... Um, see other podcasts or articles or mediums they either always interview experts like experts in the field no idea how they became experts but they're experts for some reason or um, people like themselves a lot of the time like there's a very popular british uh website and i and, I look, and that was the first place i looked i'm not going to say what it is but then just reading it none of it was relevant to me it was all completely relevant to people with the same identity as the owner and the author of that mm -hmm. and um 
And yeah, I quite liked it because it's actually a reflection of the wider polyamorous community a lot. Even though we all have this weird thing that binds us together, a lot of us, and a lot of us are weird, but none of us are truly, really similar. So I think that was what I liked about the podcast. And um, when you guys posted, or um, yeah, the founder of our community posted that you guys were looking for people, I had a listener for, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We really want to try to talk to people from, you know, different walks of life, different ethnic and religious backgrounds, different, you know, places where they live. We skew pretty Midwestern and white American, but that's that's not the goal. And the more that we can broaden out from that, I think the more fun it is for us and the more interesting it is for our listeners. The pandemic actually helped that because we've been doing everything on Zoom. And before that, we were interviewing people in person and it got, you know, we were only interviewing our community. So it got pretty um, like, I don't know, um, it was our bubble, right? It's our bubble of people. Yeah. And um, and that can get almost repetitive sometimes. I feel like we were very diverse in the topics we talk about, but oftentimes the people we're talking to, it's it's us again, you know, and in fact, I think one of our only bad reviews was I, I wish they talked to more men. <laughs> I was like, well, oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I mean, if more men want to come on the show, we would love that. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening and you'd like to be a guest, please, you know, contact me, polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Men, men do have a weird place in the community, what I've noticed, but yeah. Well, and I don't know if there's a thing about like wanting to talk about your story that guys don't want to as much as women in the community do. I'm not sure, but yeah, it has definitely skewed a little bit more. I feel like it's now getting to being an even place, but I say that having no idea what the numbers actually are. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I'm glad we actually, that post that I put on Facebook asking for our um, guests actually got a lot of uh, feedback. So I'm excited about that. We're going to have a lot of people from a lot of different countries, a lot of different areas and not just us Midwestern Wisconsinites. <laughs> Fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hey there. Interested in more Polyamory Uncensored content? You're in luck. We just started a blog, polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com. We're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns, polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews and guest posts from authors like you if you'd like to be a guest author contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website again that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com and we're going to have some fun new poly related content for you thanks see you there All right. And we are back and we're talking with Sami today and we are going to be talking about the poly dating culture and how racism has affected dating within um, the poly community. So what has your experience been and what do you want to speak to when it comes to racism in the community? You know, I, I always thought this was a reflection of just potentially British poly culture. Um, but then, yeah, when I start speaking about this on Reddit, even American polyethnic minorities was saying this happens to them and there was something um queer woman of color just said and it just flashed a light bulb in my head going this is exactly how it's been but it was always um that 
yeah, because like even if you look at data, right? Um, and I love looking at data because that's what I do. But um, yeah, generally, um, regardless of gender, like white people was at the top in, in that interaction. Um, even even when you like, let, let's say I did, because you know some profiles you see uh, like no cis no cis het men, right? But let's say I decided to write no white women. That would eliminate ninety nine point nine percent of poly people, and don't get me wrong. Once in the past, I tried doing that, and I talked to someone last week that tried doing that as well. But she's a woman, and you would not talk to anyone if you tried to do that. And it's probably not fair because um, we are attracted to white people. But because there's that hierarchy, sometimes when you, yeah, even when I talk to like white poly women, there's a lot of like condescension that I should be like flattered that they're speaking to me in the first place. And I've even had instances where like I've been asked, Latinos aren't really a big population demographic in the UK, but I've been asked, oh my God, are you Latino? Um, You're so attractive. I love Latino men. You're so hot. And then I replied, no, I'm Asian. Oh, um, probably to clarify to a lot of your listeners, Asian in the UK means like South Asian, so brown Asians, Indian, Pakistani, Bengali. Whereas I appreciate Asian in um, North America means uh, East and Southeast Asian, so Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese. So yeah, I'll be like, no, I'm Asian. And they're like, oh, I don't like Asian guys. Goodbye now. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you just told me I'm hot like four times. And <laughs> I, I wish I wish that only happened once, but it hasn't. But then that, that same queer poly woman who was talking about the hierarchy of uh, race attraction. She also said something that was really interesting and that's reflected in how it's been for me. But sometimes people own, like in the polyamory community, they just want access to ethnic bodies as a kind of like a sex object, but they'll never date us. And they'll go back to their partners who are all white and have loving relationships with them. And then just discussing this with other polyethnic minorities. They're like, yeah, it's true. And even so like when I, when I was monogamous, well, when I was, was a player and single and he thought he was monogamous um even though i had that going on i was still struggling to get matches or dates and stuff like that it was a real um game should we say but now that i'm married and poly i'm getting like 20 offers or more like sometimes some weeks 40 depends on the day of the week weirdly but like i'm getting a lot of offers of sex and there's just nothing but that um from monogamous women and polyamorous women and the monogamous women, I get it. I'm a temporary thing till they find someone that can give them the monogamy they want. Um, but then I found it strange. It was also coming from the polyamory side. And it was just, yeah, let's fuck. Let's go have sex. Let's do that. Let's go to these sex clubs. And I'm like, right, do you want to get eat or get coffee? And they're like, nah, not about that. And then some of them, you might chat to them a few weeks later going, oh, maybe they, they were just horny. And they calm down. It's like, oh. I've got too many relationships at the moment. I was like, right. So from the offset, you just wanted sex, but you never wanted to get to know me as a person. But now you have all these relationships. That's fine. But that happens a lot. You only wanted for sex. Well, the other side of, of it is also um, racial fetish, fetishism, where mm-hmm. straight away people want to do like uh, race play or stuff like that. And it's just like not super against it you could have asked me and we could have actually built up towards that on a kink scale um but it's just straight up you know will you dress like 
Aladdin for me or Al Qaeda for me or what? Or oh, could you get me like a sari, which is like a Asian, like the really colorful Asian dresses and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, for fuck's sake. All that shit yeah. is expensive in the first place. <laughs> right. Um, Jesus Christ. So, so I mean, like, yeah, it's more than dinner. So let, let, let's go there. <laughs> right, but, right. Like, um, but also yeah, it's but, really, I mean, I feel like something like that is a topic that requires some trust. Yeah. Like, you know, not everybody's going to be okay with that. And not everybody is going to get off on that. And you need to have some kind of, solid basis of communication first before mm. you're like hey let's jump right into race play like mm. i mean i don't know if it maybe is a different a little bit different in the uk versus the us because in the us we have a very difficult time talking about race and white people have a really difficult time talking about race let me be clear um but there is certainly obviously still that racial fetishization that happens and that you see, I think, a little bit more in the kink community than in the poly community. But that may just be because there's sort of more overt discussion of what are you into yeah. in the kink community. I had read Kevin Patterson's book, Love's Not Colorblind, and he he's a black man in America and he talks a lot about you know, being the only black person or the only person of color at all at a meetup or, you know, and feeling super ostracized, but then also the people who do come up to him saying really fucked up fetishizing things to him. Um, And so I do think it is definitely, uh, you know, a big problem here as well, Um, but maybe in a different way, because I do, I also think like when I've heard other podcasts talk about kink, um, events and there being like a master slave race play scene and so many people, so many white people being offended and grossed out by it that they're like, that's not allowed here, even though it was two consenting adults. But they were like, I am made so uncomfortable by this <laughs> that I don't want to mm-hmm. see it. I don't want to be near it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want it to be happening at the same event as me. You know, so it, it makes so many people uncomfortable because they don't want to seem racist or they don't want to seem like they're involved or they don't want to seem like that's what they're that turns them on that they're like absolutely not not going to happen at this event so there might be a lot of you know it still happens and then combated with we're going to try to be so you know politically correct that it won't ever seem like it's a thing and just denying its existence entirely um so i don't really know where the you know where it falls exactly but and it's different in every community uh, but yeah what? there's still definitely a lot happening in america and it's yeah it's it's fucked up I, and reading his book was really great i i really yeah. opened my eyes as a as a poly community leader because i want the space that i've created my community space to be as welcoming and inclusive as possible but when the community is mostly white any person of color who's entering is not going to feel comfortable. Right. And it's, it's Mm. tough, right. uh, Like riding the line between, I want it to be open to everyone and welcoming, but I can't force people to join, you know, (laughs) you know, or whatever. Um, How do I be better? And, and it's baby steps, right? Like you, you just got to keep trying uh, and, and be a good person and be better all the time. Um, But I don't know what the difference is in, in the UK versus America and how, and I imagine London is pretty diverse. Have you been to a lot of meetups or anything like 
don't know. I mean, few, we're in the middle of a pandemic, like, so probably not. <laughs> I've been to a few. What's interesting, most of the time, I'm the only born and bred Londoner. So a lot of these people have moved from around the UK to, to be oh. here or from other countries. But what I was going to say, my favorite example of racism, and I, I couldn't even be angry at her. I just laughed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, oh, could we do a scenario where you're like IT support? And she's <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was like, that one. <laughs> oh, no. And then I, 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 was, I just started dying. I was like, this is hilarious. And then she's like, oh, is that, is that too much? And I was like, yeah, a, yeah. a bit. And she's like, oh, what about Uber driver then? And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and then I was like, look, I can't drive. And she's like, look, if you can't drive or do IT stuff, then this won't work out. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then i was like do you know what i'm not gonna be angry at you this was just too funny but then um like a lot of ethnic minority people say oh the way to combat this and i completely disagree is you know we need to teach the poly community that you know our cultures had polyamory polyandry polygamy and then you know when the european empires came they took it all away I don't think that's the right way because it's not like any of that stuff is a secret in the first place. Um, they're usually called tribal when they talk about that. Yeah. And it doesn't change, it doesn't make us suddenly more attractive to people who found us ugly or just an object of sex. And I found for all their faults, Gen Z people seem to have a lot less of the racial preferences that maybe millennials and Gen Xs do. But there is something about dating a 21-year-old, even though I'm only six years older than them, that I'm just against. Um, but to answer what you said earlier, it is very similar in London, where even though it's a multicultural city, it doesn't mean we all mix. There are definitely, um, and even my own friendship groups, this is outside of the poly community, I mean, that's quite mixed. I, When I think about who I'm going to hang out with, I'm like, all right, am I going to hang out with my white friends from that company? Am I going to hang out with my brown friends? Am I going to hang out with, um, you know, my black friends? Am I going to hang out with my East Asian friends, as we now call them? Used to be called like Oriental Asian, but that's not acceptable anymore. Um, well, people still use it, but I'm, I'm moving away from it. Do I hang out with my East Asian friends? And sometimes I try to do events with all of them together. But in the poly meetups are very white. And then sometimes there is one other ethnic minority there, but exactly like the author of Love is, uh, Love is Colorblind said, you tend to be ostracized and feel like you're not included, but then the ones who do come up to you and super engage um, is just weird as fuck. Mm -hmm. So um, it is what it is. Have you ever yeah. thought about hosting your own meetup for like people of color? No, because I don't think that's the solution. No. Like I, I, I really... Like, I fully understand people who do do that, and there are POC communities for poly, but I think that's avoiding the problem because, um, again, if, if, if I did do that, it's like 0.1% of the community, and then right. you're kind of also not including those, even if there are a bit. So I, I learned so much about, you know, what trans people go through or people of non-normative gender go through just by the community I joined. And there are not many non-normative gender or queer ethnic minority people. I never would have learned about any of that, what they go through. And understanding some of the stuff they go through actually helped me navigate stuff better. I completely understand where some people who say, let's do that come from. But what if there was someone who had racial fetishism and, you know, they heard our voices saying, you know, 
some of us hate it, some of us are okay with it, and some of us are just in the middle. This is how you navigate to getting there. Like build something up, have a relationship, build it up. This is how some of us feel that you only want to have sex with us. So I think isolating is isolating ourselves away from the majority is not the way to do it. And similar like a lot of poly people nowadays, like let's be honest, like 95% of them don't openly talk about that they are this way. But then mm-hmm. there's a percentage who, like myself, obviously I don't scream it out to the world, but if somebody asked me, I won't deny it. That's how you kind of bridge more acceptance into the world, not by hiding away. Mm-hmm. Like the Freemasons, for example. Like everyone thinks they're a cult, but they're actually just a boys club. But there's all those conspiracies about them because they want to isolate and hide away from the world. Mm-hmm. So. People think we're cults. We're a cult too, you know? <laughs> like So I get it. But yeah, because yeah, we do kind of isolate. And, and there are many members who will only date other poly people. And then there are people who will date monogamous folks. And, you know, and I'm in the, the band of like, I only really want to date other poly people because then they get it, right? They're already there. But I totally get it becomes a very incestuous and tiny community if you only date the people you know, uh, and that can be tough. So, yeah, I get that. I'm wondering um, if you think that your religion plays a role in any of that as well. Uh, What do you mean? Like, would it be against it? um, More so you were like with the fetishization or some of the sort of, I don't know, we haven't really used the word stereotyping, but it sort of feels like it's underneath a lot of what we've been saying. Um, yeah. yeah, I know. So I know it's a different situation in a city like London than in a city like Milwaukee. The Muslim population here is very small um, and, and not highly visible. Um, and certainly I don't think we have anybody who is openly Muslim in the poly community that, you know, Lindsay and I are part of. I mean, I guess I sort of assume that that probably does have a similar kind of effect, but I don't know. So I'm asking. All right. I understand. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you more so than the American community that I've noticed with the British community, but it's very anti-religion. So like if you say you are part of a group, right? So like what's really interesting is I had this conversation that I probably meet up with, um, yeah, so I, I never met any other Muslim poly people until I joined like Lovers and Friends, and there's quite a few there. And uh, one of the members, who's a Muslim man, um, said something really interesting to me. He goes, oh, I put a Muslim on all my profiles. And I was like, really? Because I, I, I don't put anything. I don't say I'm straight. I don't say I'm a man. I, I don't even put my height because, you know, um, I'm not six foot, so what's the point? And... Um, He's like, yeah, trust me, do it. Do it. <laughs> and I did it. And it was so interesting because it actually went went from racial fetishization to that. And it went into it went into three camps. Um, one camp who wanted to convert me to atheism, which will never happen. Um, the, the, and then they spout off about science and it's just like, look, love, I have three science degrees. You have an art degree. I'm more of a scientist than you are. You're never going to convince me about your bullshit. I have my bullshit. You have your bullshit. None of it is scientifically verifiable. (laughs) Then you have the um, second camp, which is they're not trying to directly, overtly convert me to atheism. Because I I think this is actually another misconception about the UK. I think a lot of um, people think the UK is very Christian, but it's actually majority atheist. And then the... 
then there's not many Christians, then the majority religion is basically Islam, then it's Hinduism, uh, Sikhism, Judaism. And Sikhism and Judaism are minorities. Like their point, they're less than a percent here, whereas Islam and Hinduism is a lot bigger. But then, yeah, there's the second camp where they think, you know, if they can get with me, that they're making me drift from my religion at all when they're not. I mean, they're never going to convince me to drink or eat pork. I mean, I've got tattoos, but did that years ago and I, they look pretty good on me. So then I'd say the third camp, which is, which goes back uh, kind of ethno-religious fetishism, where they're like, you know, wear a back, <laughs> black balaclava, you know, can you get like a military vest, blah, blah, blah. But that's only happened like twice. Jesus and um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I bought that stuff online, <laughs> even for a scenario, MI5 would be down my door and just with a SWAT team. So I've, even though... You'd certainly get on the, a list somewhere. Yeah, you're on a list, yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's the point? What's the point for some sex? No point. Yeah, yeah I would say uh, America is a very Christian country, but the poly community isn't necessarily. And I have yeah. seen, I've witnessed... Um, the few Christ- out Christians in the community uh, I'll get a little bit of pushback. You know, they get a little um, like, hey, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> you know, like, what, isn't this against your religion? Do you feel comfortable here? And it can. And I think, you know, we try to be a very welcoming community to everyone. But there are a lot of folks who identify as reformed Catholics, as in, you know, mm-hmm. their religion was abusive or like detrimental to their health and well-being and mental health and so now they're out and away from that and they feel very good in this community where they don't have to feel pressure to be christian or catholic or whatever or religious and so you know for them the poly community is like a nice a breath of fresh air away from the religious communities that were harmful to them in their you know early informative years Um, But now I worry, you know, especially as a community leader, are we going so far in the other direction that we are no longer welcoming to anyone of a of a religion? And it's it's hard because I do think that, like, we are really welcoming of people who identify as witches, (laughs) oddly (laughs) enough. But but then the witches in the group don't really like the Christians in the group. And I'm like, it's 2021. (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) Yeah. And I think is it? Yeah, this was something I kind of like hinted on earlier that about the conformity. And I, I've thought about this a lot. I mean, um, I think those are the people you just mentioned. That's their personal problem if they don't like Christians because we can't claim to be a all-accepting, inclusive community if we say, you know, we're all-inclusive and accepting of what's popular right now and what conforms to myself. So, I mean... I've definitely seen anti-religious sentiment. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're on an anti-religious forum for whatever reason, then go do that there. The same way I'm not preaching, you know, my stuff to you guys. Because <laughs> when in a poly community, it's not for that. And I can, we can talk about it, but there's no need for this. The same way when you see um, people talk against a certain uh, gender or whatever. Um, what is the actual point? Life it's too short to focus because a, a lot of, like you just like you said a lot of people who do push the anti uh religion stuff or the anti-cis stuff they were hurt some point in their life by 
either a group of people or a person that had that identity. I think that's crazy to actually generalize because um, wh- where would, because that's exactly what police officers do to certain communities. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see this, like I see the brown people in East London do this a lot. So I'm going to go search them or harass them. Or oh, I think this community does this so much. I mean, it actually scares me when people say shit like that, when they're like anti-religious or like anti-cishet or whatever, because I'm like, oh, if you can apply that logic to stuff like that, that logic could be applied to other things such as, you know, race or sexuality or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I get why you feel like that, but I'm going to avoid people like you because I don't know where that logic ends because there's there's a part that's weirdly socially acceptable to say for some reason. But there's a part that isn't, and you might be hiding that in the way you think. So I avoid people like that. Sure. Yeah. I think the line is, I mean, for me, when I see other people doing it is like, are you, are you um, against oppressive, you know, the people who are oppressing you or are you discriminating against the people you are oppressing? Right. Like, and so sometimes, especially with like the example of a police officer, like they're an incredibly oppressive force and they are actively oppressing people of color. And so, you know, their discrimination actively hurts people who they have hold power over. And, you know, and with America, the dominant religion being Christianity, they are kind of the oppressive force. So I think when people are like butting heads against them, they feel justified in it because they're being oppressed by them. Or they feel that they are or they feel that they were at one point in their life. It's sort of a distinction between like punching up versus punching down. Right. Mm. Um, Where there's more harm, obviously, if you come from a position of privilege and you're discriminating against people who have less privilege than you in that context. But I think I do follow your logic, too, that like a slippery slope logic. If you want to be inclusive what we need to do is try to find that balance between creating a space that is going to be safe and welcoming for people who may have a lot of experience with being discriminated against or being made to feel fetishized or isolated, um, but at the same time, not excluding people because they come from an identity position of privilege. So a lot of the, I don't want to call it the memes, but a lot of the ideology that comes from America is copied here. So like when you get the anti-religious sentiment, and I appreciate exactly what you said about Christianity being the dominant force in America, but it isn't in the UK. Mm -hmm. So when, when it's happening in the UK, I'm like, what? And a lot, a lot of the people who are doing it came from, non-religious families so i'm I'm just thinking what are you angry about and but yeah it's copied from america it's like same here you get a lot of people in the poly community over here that say the word bipoc and it's very tiring explaining right that word is very specific to america canada australia and new zealand because the i in bipoc includes you it literally indigenous. means indigenous right so it includes yeah. all you the anglo-saxons in britain <laughs> 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 i never thought about that yeah indigenous yeah. to the united kingdom yeah mm-hmm. yeah because you you hear people using it here and i'm like have you actually thought about what you're saying because mm-hmm. if, you, if you use the word bipoc theoretically that's all of us minus non-english white people which there's no which they are right. a minority in themselves and have their challenges. 
Right, right. Um, the Polish immigrants yeah. are excluded yeah. there, but <laughs> but everyone else, yeah. you have our own club, <laughs> and Polish people do have a really harder. Eastern European yeah. people, yeah, have a harder. And um, but yeah, we have a we have a word called BAME, but some people can get that. But yeah, sometimes we need to. Sorry, uh, BAME depends who you ask. But some people say black and minority ethnic. Uh, but the but the general consensus is the word stands for black Asian minority ethnic. But then where it gets really confusing is East Asians are counted under the ME part as opposed to the Asian part. So yeah, right. So it does know. context is so important for all of these yeah. words because yeah. yeah, you know the the English experience and the South African experience and so and I don't know Australia well enough to have an opinion about this, but yeah, Asian meaning south asian to what an american for what in an american context would be south asian um as opposed to east asian yeah i i'm not making any sense in this sentence and i apologize for that i completely get what you mean (laughs) like like how you conceptualize a word based on your culture changes the meaning of it same way um there are definitely swear words i can use over here but i'd really offend people over there (laughs) i wouldn't offend australians so yeah yeah. Um, yeah. My family funny. hosted an English exchange student when I was a teenager and yeah. we had uh, a very funny experience where actually she asked uh, her math teacher for a rubber during an exam and the whole class fell apart. She was asking for what we call an eraser, oh. um, but, you know, that's not the word she used. So not a <laughs> yeah. swear word, but again, one of these just subtle cultural differences that turn out to be very meaningful in the wrong context. <laughs> yeah, it's like how the word Randy is a name over there, apparently. Oh, yeah. I mean, the one over here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, I love watching a lot of, like, British TV and things like that. I mean, I've fallen in love with Ted Lasso over and over again. And it's, it is, it's lovely to watch, but I, I am always reminded, I'm like, oh, it's it's the same language, but it's so damn different. Like <laughs> we are really speaking a different language in a lot of ways. And I have to always like, what does that mean? Oh yeah. Okay. I might look that up, whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's great. So I don't know if you want to talk about this at all, but you said your wife had a visa when you were dating. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think polyamory is, or being openly polyamorous affects that status at all? Or are you worried at all about her? Like, you know, visa and, and status in the country? No, because I feel like if I just, if we talked to an immigration officer and said, yo, and if I if I put on the player persona again, he would like get in there, mate. But like, I don't think so. I, I don't think it affects the visa at all. Um, unless Maybe one it's day different in America. People... Yeah, like, I, think I wonder if the more... immigration is harsher here because they really are worried yeah. about people faking it here and people get the ninth immigrants. degree. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it is America. It is, but I mean, I, there are people that are worried about it here, but like I, they really don't keep tabs on us. So like, I mean, and at the same time, at the end of the day, obviously I'll, I'll get Australian citizenship in three years. The Australian government have no idea what I'm doing. And um, all the British government care about really and truly, do I earn enough money to support her if she was jobless? And do we have proof of a relationship? Yeah. Um, obviously, you'll never get things like poly marriages or stuff. And I wouldn't want, 
I mean, I used to joke about this a lot uh, when I started dating. I'd get a second, third, and fourth wife because I'm allowed to. But um, I mean, that would never be legal here because of the implication, but legal implications and financial implications. But I don't think it does, and I don't know how they'd ever find out. So, sure. I mean, if anything, it benefits her because if she if she just wanted to go to a court one day and say, "Yeah, he's he's been so unfaithful, you know, this entire time, give me all his money." <laughs> The judge will probably because uh, all the judges are very old school and oh. conservative here. They'll be like, "Yeah, sure, go for it, sure. take it all." <laughs> <laughs> but I thought about this: if we ever got divorced, I'd give everything. So, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> right. I'm not worried about. It. Yeah, that's another thing that's such an interesting difference about the you know different even civil justice systems that you know the courts vary here quite wildly from state to state. But also that system is in itself quite different from the British system. So we in Wisconsin live in what's called a community property state, meaning that what's acquired in the marriage is equally both of yours. And so even if you wanted to give everything in a divorce, you wouldn't be able to like in Wisconsin. The rules are quite different, say, for example, in New York. But if you wanted so, to give nothing, you also could not do that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah. just half and half. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it's not relevant to anything, but just an interesting. No, story. no. It's just interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but what do you think poly communities can do to be better when it comes to, well, and I know that we were talking about racism on an individual basis when it comes to like dating. So maybe not just communities, but if you want to talk about that, we can. But like, what can uh, individuals do to be better? Because can I can I actually jump in for a second and say, let's not use better. Mm, Okay. because I think one of the things that gets in the way, at least in an American discussion of race, is we really conflate like being a good human being versus, you know, with being non-racist. Sure. And that's part of why it's so hard for people to admit when they have, you know, when they, that they are racist. When they are racist. Yeah. Cause they're like, I'm a good person. I can't be racist. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Whereas it's no, I I'm part of this culture. I am racist. I am also a good person. I'm trying to actively address my racism. I'm trying to be less racist, but let's just try to really be, be clear in our language. Like how can we be more inclusive and welcoming? How can we, be less actively racist. Be anti-racist. Be anti-racist, exactly. Sure. Yeah. What are your thoughts? The first rule for life is don't be a dickhead. Um, this is something we don't talk about, and I was actually talking about weirdly with my work manager, who's a like old baby boomer white guy. People love to pretend they've never been a bigot. And I will openly admit, when I was younger, I've definitely been racist to white people, to black people, um, Maybe not East Asians because they weren't really a big thing here at the time when I was growing up. I've definitely been homophobic, transphobic. Actually meet these people as people. And once you see we all have it shit, we're all paying horrendous taxes and getting nothing, then you'll start to see that everyone has a crappy human. Well, some people are generally happy, but like we all have human experiences and they're all similar. And there's more variance within a group than there is a difference between the groups. There's there's less variance between the groups than there is within the group itself. I'd say just meet other people that aren't like yourselves and then actually think about what group do I treat the best? Because not necessarily your own group, because you definitely get like straight women who treat 
queer people way better than they would treat other straight women. And you definitely get like um, Asian people like myself who think the world of white people and treat them way better than other Asian people. But think what group you treat the best could be your own, could be a different one. And actually, if, if it helps you, if it amuses you, pretend whoever you're meeting is that group as well and interact them, interact with them as you would. And I promise you, over time, you'll just start to see them as more human and actually start treating everyone quite similar. And I think a lot of people need to kind of let go of their own. It's good to, it's good to understand your self-worth, but I'd say sometimes you need to take yourself off that pedestal when you're interacting with new people and kind of put yourself on a level playing bridge, whether that person is way more attractive than you or way more ugly than you or like what whatever the silly thing is i think that will make you a fairer human i don't know if it'll make you a better human but it's definitely will start taking you down that path where you start because like for example both of you are like white women right but when i was talking to you i wasn't thinking about that i just see two two humans two people yeah but definitely if you talked to me 10 15 years ago i'd have been like oh yeah i, I would have just saw your race and gender first and there are people who like to be i like to call it they're so woke they're almost dreaming about what reality is and <laughs> um yeah just be honest with yourself and start trying to see people as opposed to their demographic first because you also get a lot of what i like to call trauma porn as well where you know uh people just assume just because you're this category category of person you must have like you know a, a vivid horror story that they can say i've i've never done that i've never been a part of it blah 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 Right. Um, That's very long-winded, but I hope there's a deep message in there somewhere. <laughs> well, I, I usually end the podcast by asking if you have any advice for folks who are like you, so other folks dating in the community who might be um, not white. Do you have any advice? Dating's pretty shit anyway, whether you're white or not. And I think a lot of ethnic minority people go into a mindset of over-victimization, thinking, you know, this would be so much easier for me if I was white or stuff like that. And I've even met ethnic minority people that this is also a point where um, the more Eurocentric you look as an ethnic minority in terms of your hair or your facial, facial features. Like I did meet a girl who had like, she was Greek, uh, but like half Greek, half something else. But she had like a very hooked nose all the Greek god statues did. And then she went to Turkey and got it more Western European. So she went from looking like a Greek goddess to somebody who listens to podcasts. And, um, okay. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, a lot of ethnic minority people actually go out of their way to, you know, look more like higher status. And I think I'm being a bit of a hypocrite here, actually, because if you look at all my online dating photos, I don't look how I look right front of you guys i'm just in contact lenses i've usually got long hair swept back and i'm covered in like rolexes and louis vuittons and stuff but then yeah some ethnic minorities try to do that but also try to like straight i've got like wavy hair but they straighten their hair or like get cosmetic changes to look more european um i'd say i've, I've never done that but i'd say avoid doing that because i see quite a few people who do because you're complaining about this race that you say don't accept you, but then you're going out your way to look like them, to feel more accepted by them. But you victimized yourself to the point you've put them on the pedestal for their acceptance. Just be yourself, you know, all that lovey-dovey bullshit. You'll meet people who will accept you. And I think another secondary part of um, this racism we haven't talked about is actually the racism between us. 
And what I mean by that is we like we have focused very heavily on ethnic minority versus white because obviously I'm an ethnic minority person and you guys are white and most of the poly community is white. But there's also we do it to each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um, try not to become a hypocrite of what you hate. So even um, yeah, I think I'll just leave it there because um, that does happen as well. The the racism between us and the the hierarchy between us because um, that goes up and down depending on where you're in. So if you look at a lot of interracial poly relationships, it's always white and ethnic minority. It's mm-hmm. never I've never once seen an ethnic minority between a minority relationship and even in monogamy i literally know four and i live in one of the most multicultural countries cities in the world mm-hmm. so yeah don't be a hypocrite of what you're angry about that was a lot there to unpack but, so. no but i think it's a really great point and i think that's an area of racism that is also very difficult for people to talk about um, in the U.S., I think the only context I've really seen it discussed is like in a police violence kind of context, like um, George Floyd, one of the police officers was Hmong and there's been like, oh, but he wasn't white. It couldn't have been racially motivated. Like, well, no, that's not true. Like you don't get an immunity from racism because you are a person of color it maybe plays out in a different way, but it's not non-existent. Mm-hmm. And same with, uh, I think, some of the um, police violence and intercommunity violence that uh, has happened in Southern California. You hear a lot about like the um, Korean versus Black kind of mm-hmm. conflicts and racism. Yeah, I remember one of the first times I kind of experienced um Seeing that and being surprised was uh, one of my aunts by marriage is uh, Latina and she was super against Obama when he was running. And I was like, why? And she's like, because he's black. And I was like, what? Like, I was totally um, surprised because I was like, but you're Latina. You should know that like it's he's, you know, and I was like, and again, when Obama was first running, I was a child, you know, I was like, I don't know, 18. You know, I was, I was very young, but I, I, uh, I was really like surprised by that. She was super interested in Hillary at the time because she wanted a woman to win, but she didn't want a black man to win. And I was like, wow, I'm. And then later she was a Trump supporter. So she was just kind of off her rocker anyways. But like, you know, I was just like, oh, yeah, I guess there's a lot of racism between people of color communities, too. But it literally took me. It took someone telling me and being racist in front of me for me to put two and two together. And I was like, Oh, right. It's not just white people. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) It's everyone. (laughs) We all have to work on ourselves. Well, I think we all have to work on ourselves might be a (laughs) key theme here in some of this. Yeah. And there's a lot that's available when we do. You know, I think like that's something you were really pointing to, Sammy, earlier. I think like you, the fact of being in community with trans people, with non-binary people, with, you know, people who have a non-traditional gender expression, like being in community with those people, you have learned about their lives and what they go through. We can be in authentic community and learning from each other. Um, you know, as white people being in community with people of color and learning about their experience can help us to be less racist and to be more. Um, I've always enjoyed the phrase co-conspirators, you know, better co-conspirators or um, not allies, but uh, 
you know, something a little bit more active feeling than that. Like revolutionists or something. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Is there anything else that you want to say before we get going? No, I think this was quite lovely. Um, I can't remember if I had any other British voice. That's quite different. Um, but yeah, it was very interesting. You asked, if you asked a lot of things, I hadn't, I've thought about them, but I've never formed them into words and stuff. The visa thing was a, was a curveball. So, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, no, well. no, 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 it's hardcore, but my wife is white and Australian, so they don't keep tabs on it as hard as they do if I married a Chinese woman or Thai woman or Indian woman. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the economics of it as well. Because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a certain threshold you need to earn to sponsor a visa. The closer to that, it's like 20,000. The closer you are to that, um, the more they keep tabs on you. Mm-hmm. But even though I grew up very poor and very working class and we barely had food growing up, I've been, as I kind of talked about earlier in the podcast, I'm very successful career-wise and I've, I'm very, very a lot over that threshold. Sure. So economic, e- economically, yeah, I'm, I'm, okay, yeah, economically I'm rich in the UK, so they don't see me as a risk either. So they don't see me as a risk from the f- economic side of things. And they don't see, you, actually, this isn't a secret, but like there's actually a tiers of countries that they consider risks and Australia is one of the lowest. Mm. So we, as, I don't think the poly thing is a, I don't know, yeah, maybe if I was, literally on that line and she was from a country that's considered high risk maybe i'd hide it more mm-hmm. but no reason to yeah that's great i mean you, if you can feel open that's a good thing uh, and you don't have to fear that that's awesome well and i think that's one of the other things that we value about doing this podcast is that it does have the give us the opportunity to kind of show the wide range of what's normal and hopefully make you know this seem eventually culturally you know, a like a less scary thing that people ought to be worried about as you know immigration fraud or what have you you know and obviously our role in that is you know a couple of grains of sand but it you know it's still nice to be part of trying to move the needle culturally that's lovely <laughs> this was really fun. I'm glad we got to talk. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. It was a really interesting and thought-provoking conversation. It was lovely meeting both of you. All right. Yeah. Take care. Have a good night. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller. And Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember... We love you. Bye.